that everyone's staying warm. It's warmer, out, uh, warmer in here than it is out there. Praise the Lord. And uh, right on cue with this thing. Thank you. Uh, Jude, Jude, this evening, we're basically, we're today, this week and then the, the following time we're here, when we'll be done with our, our Bible book tour. And so I appreciate that, um, uh, appreciate that we've been able to go through each book of the Bible and I don't know how long I've taken, it's, it's probably been a while, all right? I feel like it's been three years, maybe, maybe five years. I don't know, I feel like I started this when I um, started pastoring. But Jude, book of Jude, if you can't find that, just try to get to the end and then flick back a bit and you'll get to it, all right? Jude, and look at verses, verses 1 to 4, just one chapter. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you note there the the opening couple of verses of the book of Jude, uh, really it's apparent to us that Jude starts to write about the common salvation which meets the common need of man. But then it was urgently pressed upon him by the Holy Ghost to then warn believers about the gross abuses of Christian liberty, which are committed by ungodly men. And he begins to then, uh, to then describe false teachers who deny the Lord, who give license to sin, and he points out their principles and practices, and then Jude then describes the awfulness of their sins. And so we look through, and, and believers through this book are exhorted really to recognize our calling, and that is to continue and then to contend for the faith. And I find it interesting that as we've been going through and and really rounding out the the Bible in our our, uh, just survey of each each book of the Bible, that towards the the end where it's really going to speak about the end times, that all of these books which really um, will drive to something are, are warning against apostasy and false teaching and how we ought to com- combat that. And, and if you're looking around and you're recognizing the day that we live in, then all of these books that we've been looking through as, as, as short as they've been should be very relevant to you and I. We should have the mindset that, that we're gleaning from this. And, and I know that I'm probably just as guilty as you are of, of browsing through these short books of the Bible. But I was again reading through the book of Jude in the last week and or so as I've been just meditating upon the, this, this short book of the Bible, and again recognizing just, just the importance of it and the importance of its teaching in our, for our day. And so if we were to summarize Jude in one sentence, it would just be this, Christians must defend against false teachings and false teachers, and at the same time they must build their own faith in Christ. And we're going to see later on that really that, that needs to go hand in hand if we are going to successfully 
um, contend for the faith. So it's the 60, 65th book in your Bible. Of course, the next time we meet, it'll be the, the book of Revelation. The author is Jude, who's uh, the brother of James, the author of the book of James and first pastor of the Jerusalem church, and the half-brother of Jesus. Right? Jude, like the other brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, was not a believer until after the resurrection. We see that noted in, in John chapter 7. But then we see later on in Acts chapter 1 that they're in the upper room with their mother Mary just before Pentecost. So again, the importance of the, of the resurrection, it was, it was convincing even to those who were close to Christ. Uh, one chapter, 25 verses, 613 words. And if you look closely at this, at this, um, at this book, the, the key word is keep. In, in different forms, the word is used keep, kept, reserved, preserved, sanctified. And all of these words, it, it's really... Um, really is, a, uh, is seen in the illustration here in verse 6 of the angels which kept not their first estate. And what, what he starts to then paint a picture of is, is how we are to keep ourselves in the faith. And, and the challenge for, those, those, uh, for us believers in, in living in the last days and living in a time of apostasy is to be kept in the faith, to, to keep ourselves and he gives those exhortations to keep ourselves in verses 21 to 24. And, and really, uh, if you, you look at verse 6 and then right through to the end, there's a sharp contrast. And really, it's an underlying tone of the book, this, this, uh, this tone of keep. You know, what you find, and if you do an extended class, we did hermeneutics 101. If you enroll to the next one, which will be a bit more detailed, you're going to start to look at every book has a, has a tone. Every book has some sort of tone. You're going to start to see that even from the beginning, there's some phrases or some phraseology repeated right through. And, and like a piece of music, a book then comes to a crescendo at the end. And it gives the, the, the final, the, the final uh, just thought. And it's, it really is, there's a tone in each book. And if you enroll in that, Lord willing, next year, then we'll look at how, how to um, recognize that. But if you start to study the book of Jude, you start to get a, a sense, a tone of the book. And there's a, there's, a, there's a phrasing, and it's this idea of keep. And so keep or kept, those are the key phrases in the book. And uh, I believe the, the, the key verse of, um, of the book of Jude is verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And so again, right at the end there, he's emphasizing he's able to keep. And right at the beginning, he speaks about those who are sanctified or, or kept or set apart. All right, so we start to see that. Um, some interesting facts of the book. Um, if you note that the beginning of the church age is called the Acts of the Epistles, uh, of the Apostles, sorry. But then at the, towards the end, we see the end of the church age, it starts to be the Acts of the Apostates. Because really this is describing where, where there's about to be a transition from the church age to the, the time of tribulation, right? And then the, the defining marker of that is, is the rapture where that transitions in. So this is the latter times. Uh, Jude is the only book in the Bible entirely devoted to the great apostasy of the last days. And Jude and Second Peter are similar in that sense. However, Peter places apostasy in the future but Jude sees apostasy in the present. 
We see Jude give us three marks of all apostates. In, in verse 11, we see, uh, notice there, um, that they've gone in the way of Cain. Okay, so he's, uh, the, meaning they're attempting to uh, approach God apart from the, uh, from the sacrificial um, offering that is needful. And so we learn there that apostate teaches that you, you do for God, what you do for God counts no matter what, no matter how you approach God. Um, we see there also that they ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, okay, signifying a grasping of material reward as their, as their ultimate end. Apostates teach that you can come to God for a better life. It's this idea of prosperity gospel, where if you're, if you're, you're saved, you become a Christian, that, that suddenly all of your problems and all of the, the hassles of life go away. It's, it's just, just masked in prosperity. But then also they're perished in the gainsaying of Korah. And, and this is the idea of those that tried to usurp uh, Moses and, and Aaron's authority. There was a usurpation of, of authority. The sins of Korah was the denial of the authority of Moses and the intrusion into the priest's office. We see that in number 16. And so we, what we learn there is apostates t- uh, teach that you do not need authority. You can be your own authority. And so, again, there's, there's, there's just such a strong teaching in the book of Jude regarding apostates. Really, it's the first of two New Testament books referring to Michael the archangel. Both deal with his encounter with, uh, with Satan. The other book we'll learn about is Revelation. Okay, the, the book of Jude is the only New Testament book to provide for us a sample of the kind of preaching pre-flood sinners once heard. So verses 14 and 15, we, we see there, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, Adam, prophesied of these. So he preached these things, and this is pre-flood, right? So, um, so we know Enoch, what happened uh, before Noah, uh, to execute judgment unto all. And so it's, it gives us a sample of that, gives us a, an interesting uh, fact of history there. The purpose of the book um, again, scarcely 40 years after Christ's death, many believers had become lax in doctrine and practice, and there were many false teachers preying upon them. So Jude, he writes, the purpose of it is to encourage Christians in their faith and to warn them of false teachers. We see the themes of the faith, of contending for the faith, of keeping the faith, the theme of apostasy and the characteristics of that. And so it's, it's rich in, in warning and rich in teaching that way. Uh, a quick outline of the book that we could name it the Acts of the Apostates. And, and really, if you start to, to look at the book, it doesn't go in a, in, a, um, in a chronological order, in a thought order. You sort of have to pick apart the verses. But the, the things covered, we see the problems of apostasy. We see the description of apostasy. We, the, we see the examples and causes of apostasy. We see the metaphors of apostasy, the judgment upon apostasy, and then the safeguards against apostasy right at the end there in verses 20 to 25. We see the type of Christ, it's mentioned in verse 25, to the only wise God, our Savior. And so, again, when we, when we look at uh, the apostates and, and, and apostasy in the, uh, in the latter times, what we see is a... Is a perceived wisdom that they bring out. You know, if you look at the, the literature of today, um, th- there's many that are being drawn away by the perceived wisdom of modern-day writers, 
And, and yet, when you compare it to Scripture, it's all foolishness. And so, in contrast to the wisdom of man that really is inherent in apostasy, we see Jesus is the only wise God. And, and so, again, in contrast to, to what Jude is describing here for us. So, that's just a little bit about the, the book of Jude. And, and so, tonight, I think it's appropriate as we think about the 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 theme and really the, the purpose of the writing to think about combating apostasy. You know, we live in a time, and again, Jude warns those of those and really us living in an age of apostasy. And what he does, he gives us the formula to combat the tide of the day. And, and, and church, can I just say to you as we now head into Revelation and we're going to start to, we're going to just in, in a snapshot cover Revelation we're leading up to those days, and really this is a precursor to the time where God's going to start to judge the earth. And, and it's, it's coming soon, and we need to understand more than ever, we must be guarded, but we must be combat ready. We can't just, we, we can't be wishy-washy today. You know what happens to those who, who just are wishy-washy about, uh, about going into battle? They become victims of the warfare. And too many times as we look around us and, and you know, even as we observe those that, whom we know, many of them get drawn away, as we've been thinking about even in, in the book of First Timothy. They're drawn away by, by the perceived wisdom or the perceived attraction um, of those that are in apostasy. And, and you know what they are? They weren't combat ready. They hadn't put some things in place that would, would help them fight against the tide of the day. And I want to say to you young people, don't, don't think that you're just, uh, don't think that you're, you're going to be um, absolved from all of this. This is actually your generation we're speaking about. And, and yes, we adults were living in this time, but, but I want you to know that, that more and more, even perhaps even as, as the Lord tarries, He's coming more and more, you're going to find just, just downright confusion, even in Christendom. You know, I was reading today, uh, or actually yesterday, I was reading about the Southern Baptist Convention in the, the U.S., and, and, you know, that's not really, that doesn't mean a big deal to us. But for, for, for a long time, the Southern Baptists represented the largest denomination in the U.S. By and large, um, if we were excluding method and practice, by and large, they, they believed similarly to independent Baptists. Um, but even there, seeing a, a great downturn, and look, I'll make a comment about the SBC, that, that when it comes to mainline religion, they were at least the most conservative still as far as biblical doctrine. You know, they, they still were. And so I was reading uh, a, a an article by, by a very well-known Southern Baptist, and if I had a favorite, he would be my favorite, all right? But, um, but he wrote about the, just the decline, even of today. And what he was saying, it was, it was linked to other factors, but it was also linked to the fact that, that there was already starting to be a creeping in of liberal theology, even within the ranks of the Southern Baptist Convention. And really, if you think about that, that's probably across the board. 
If you look at one of the largest uh, cooperations today, the Gospel Coalition, they're very popular. And, and probably some of you read some of their authors, you just don't even know it. But they, they come together and, you know, the, originally their express purpose was to, to give the gospel and encourage those who, who were. But even within their ranks, I've been reading more and more recently about just their shift left. They've been moving into social justice as their main calling card. They, they've been moving into reasoning out how to accept and how to accept the sin of homosexuality. And they've been dabbling, and I've been reading, I've been seeing them move further and further away from, from the truth and the things that even we heard about here, the, the faith once delivered. And, and I'm just saying, if, if we're not, not going to have that mentality that we're going to contend as individuals, but as a, as a church, we will also follow the tide. And we must, we must, as we look into uh, the times and, and we look at the, the, the urgency of the message and the urgency of, of, of the, the pure teaching of the Word of God, we must contend for the faith. And really, that's my first point here. If we're going to combat, we must fight. We must fight to keep what we believe. In verse 3, he, he, he exhorts us already, right from the beginning, it's needful. There's an urgency there in his tone. It was needful for me to write unto you, then he says, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. And you know, you could, you could look at the, the Word of God and, and you could look at the, the things that have been passed down to you uh, from generation to generation perhaps. And, and even if you, you are first generation Christians, understand that, that the, the things of the Word of God didn't automatically get to you People paid a price. People fought. They contended for the faith. And, and it's our turn, and, and it's our turn, it's our shift here in these last days. It's our, our time to take, take a stand. And he's saying there in verse 3, we must earnestly contend for the faith. And so that's the first thing. If we're going to truly fight, uh, combat apostasy, we must, we must be ready to fight. We must be ready to contend. And we understand we must contend for the faith without being contentious in nature. Uh, we, we understand that, that as we live in this day that we, ha- we must keep our spirit to be right. But that doesn't mean that, that we, uh, we, we sacrifice the, the, that spirit of, of contending. We sacrifice it aside because we don't want to be offensive. Because the reality is truth has always been offensive. If we're truly living, the Bible tells us that, that we will go through persecution. And, and so he, he says that. Why? Because the, really the enemy is subtle. Notice again in verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares. You know, this warfare isn't so blatant. It, it's actually pretty subtle. If we're not careful and we're not contending, earnestly contending, the warning there is uh, there's men certain men crept in unawares. And men creep in secretly into the church and into Christendom. And, and really what he's saying there is our contention is, is one of vigilance. We must be vigilant. We must be vigilant about the things of the Word of God. We must, we must have an attitude that, that, that absolutely, if we're going to look into things, we must 
we must look at it from, from the, the scope and the lens of Scripture and Scripture alone. And so we must fight with vigilance. And then he says there, who were before of all ordained to this condemnation, he calls them ungodly men. But notice why, because they turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we are in a time where, where there's a misdefinition of what grace is all about. See, what, what the, the, the many, the majority of, of Christianity would believe in today is that grace is just is a permissive grace. In this sense, we can do whatever we want. You know what that is the definition of? Lasciviousness. And, and you know, there's, there's this, this movement today where, where grace is the buzzword still. And we've got to be careful. I was reading another article by a, a very well-known um, uh, author and blogger, uh, Paul David Tripp. And, you know, I've read some of his stuff. He, he's got a good book on the, the calling of the pastor. But as I read uh, some other things that he's written recently, you know, I, I started to realize that much of what he wrote was about a permissive grace. And, and he, he spoke about the fact that, you know, he enjoys alcohol like any other guy. Absolutely ignoring what the Bible actually says about alcohol. And that's a kind of mentality, you know, and, and his reasoning was, well, I just wanted to be able to win those who were engaging in that, and I didn't want to seem to be. And listen, that's the kind of, that's the caliber, and he's very well known in those circles that I mentioned earlier. But, but you know, um, the, it, it may not be alcohol, but many times we're very permissive about certain other things. And, and we've got to be careful, and, and what he what I'm saying is our fight of one of, is one of discernment. We've got to discern. And, and we need to understand that if we're going to combat apostasy, we're going to need to be up for the fight. We, we must fight to keep what we believe. But then secondly, notice in verse 20 now. He says here, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Here's the second thing. We must build. We must build our faith to be able to fortify what we hold true. We've got to build the faith. And, and it's not enough that we just, we're just fighting. It reminds me of, of, in, of the, the story in Nehemiah where they were, when they were building the wall, there was a time where enemies came and, and Nehemiah told them, you know, with one hand, carry a sword, and with the other hand, carry the thing that you're building with. And that's the picture here for us. You know, as we fight, we must also build. We must build up our faith. You know, we must take seriously the, 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 the structure of our faith. We, we must understand what that needs to look like. But then he also says this, building up your most holy faith. Notice he says, praying in the Holy Ghost. And so how do we, how do we build not only do we have to, um, have to understand the faith, but we also have to build through having a real prayer life. And, and, and church, listen, as we, as we approach this time, there, there, will be t there will be times where we're going to be truly tested how real our faith is. 
And the only thing that's going to get us through is having a real prayer life. And you mark my words as we, as we head into a time where, where really there's a, there's, a, there's a strong tide against Christianity. And, and church, we dodged a bullet recently. I'll tell you that now. There, there, were, there were things afoot that, that, you know, in this past election that I think God was just merciful to us. And there were things afoot there that we, we should have been aware about, but we must have a real prayer life. But then notice verse 21. It says, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So he continues the thought. He's, he's talking about how to build here. So pray in the Holy Ghost. So have a real prayer life. And, and the only prayer life that, that's real is in the Holy Ghost. It's not praying in, in carnality. It's not praying in self-ambition. It's praying aligned to the Holy Ghost. It's praying with, with the understanding that is given us through the Holy Ghost. But then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So not only that, we have a prayer life, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. And, and, and how do we define that? In 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So the idea of keeping ourselves in the love of God, he defines what the love of God is, keeping His commandments. So, so to keep ourselves in the love of God, not only is, is, it, the, uh, is it having a, a, a real prayer life, but we must keep ourselves in the love of God. We must be, uh, stay true to His commandments. We must, uh, we must fortify our lives uh, with the Word of God and an understanding of how we uh, ought to please Him in all things by our, our reading and studying and application of the Word of God. But then also to keep ourselves in the love of God is to understand our position in Christ. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we understand our position in Christ? Studying His Word. Reinforcing through, through study and, and through, uh, through, through study and application again of the, of the Word of God. But an understanding there specifically of our position in Him. And, and so we keep ourselves in the love of God by, by holding dear in knowing and practicing the Word of God. But then he says again in verse 21, he says we must look for, he says looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So how do we build? How do we build so that we combat apostasy? We have a real prayer life. We keep ourselves in the love of God, but we must look for mercy in our living hope. Understand that, that we have a living hope, that we have something to look forward to. And it's not for other mercies that we look for. We look for that mercy. And really, all of this can be summarized as building an authentic and abiding relationship with Christ. It's not just, you know, turn up on a Sunday. Turn up on a Sunday night. Turn up to Sunday school and turn up on a Wednesday night and just chat our way away. It's, it's, about, it's about authenticity. It's about letting the, letting the things of the faith be just absolutely precious and real to us. So we must build to fortify what we hold true. But then lastly, we must, we must win those that need the common salvation. Notice, notice verses 22 to 23. And some have compassion making a difference. What's he talking about? Others have saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You know what that's speaking about? It's speaking about pulling people out of hell. It's, it's, we call it soul winning. 
We call it evangelism. We call it outreach. We call it gospel work. We call it all of that, and, and that's what it's speaking about. He's saying, you know, the only hope we have to be able to combat apostasy is to win them out of it. And church, how urgent is that in our minds? Is it just a time in the week? Is it just, you know, is it just a thing we do because we're, we're students in a Bible college? Students of Bible Institute? Or is it, is it something that is, like the Bible tells us, our manner of life? Is it something that, that we are aware of every day, every moment that we get an opportunity? Are, are we conscious of our neighbors? Are we conscious of those who are, are commuters on our commute? Are we conscious of those in our social circles, in, um, in our sports teams, in our schools, in our workplaces? Are we conscious of those that we're meant to be pulling out of the fire? And he says some through compassion. And you know, we live in a world that needs compassion. We, we live in a very cynical and hard world. And what the world needs is to see Christians who are compassionate, but then also some through fear. Some just need a dose of reality. Some need to understand that they're just, they're just a breath away from hell. And, and some of us think, oh, that's unkind. But listen, I'd rather be unkind and tell the truth than let someone slide into hell with an excuse. Too many times we're, we're just we're intimidated by this world, and yet he says with fear. We're meant to be the ones that, can, that give fear. We're meant to be the ones when, when we speak of, of hell and we speak of the reality of that is meant to bring some soberness about that person's life, meant to give them perspective, meant to give them a dose of reality. And so, so he says, some through compassion, some th through fear, but make sure it's paired with your testimony. Because he says they're hating, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And you know, the, the, the sad thing is this, many times, many times the, the ability for us to give the gospel is hindered by those who are poor in their testimony. They don't look like, they, 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 don't, they don't perceive that they even have a changed life. You're, you're almost hidden in your faith. You're, you're just joking around about everything else and you're just going about and you're not serious. You're not serious and we can have joy. We ought to have joy. We, we ought to be different in, in all of those ways. But listen, sometimes we're just not sober enough ourselves about the reality of who we are in Christ. And, and we sort of dilly-dally our way. And we walk around like nothing else matters to us except this world. And yet the Bible's warning us, you know, if we're going to win the battle against apostasy, if we're going to make a dent in these last times, we're going to need to have an attitude of winning those who are without, who, who need the common salvation that he started with. And so how do, we, how do we combat apostasy? We have to have a mentality that we're up for the fight. We've got to build to fortify what we believe in, and then we must be 
we must win those. We must win those that need the common salvation. It's not just the job of the few. If you have a role to play here, it's this role. We are to win the lost. You could have every other position, but if you're not doing that, you're not doing your role justice, any justice. If we're, un, un, you know, we're unmoved about that, we're about to enter into a time of, of speaking about missions, and you can define missions any way you want, but I'll define it this way. It's about a message. It's about a man who has a message to proclaim. That's missions. And yes, we could, we could, we could surround it with other things that might help but the main purpose of, of missions, and I, I won't pay for a missionary that won't share the gospel. I won't pay for a missionary who'll walk around and, and, and do other things apart from the call to give the gospel. And, and it doesn't, he, he, he doesn't have to win multitudes, but if he's faithful in that, then, then I, 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 will, I will put some, I will put some, some uh, dollars aside each week so that that one could go. But if they won't do that, then they're just going the way of the apostasy. They're, they're, just, they're just playing around with their call. And it's all of our, it's all of our call. It's our, it's our call as well as we go about this in, in, our, in our places of, of work, in our places of business, in our places of study. It's our call too. And I want to just implore you tonight, you know, we're, we're living in times where I think unprecedented. We've not seen any, any time like this time in the world. And, and uh, the call, church, is still keep. It says contend for the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity tonight again to open your word. I pray that you'd help. I pray that you'd, you'd please... Move us, Lord God. Please do a work in, our, in each heart tonight. And then, Lord, as we head into this, uh, Lord, this period of challenge about the Great Commission, pray that you'd, you'd Lord, just, just light a fire in our hearts. Lord God, I pray that you would just help us not to rest until we, Lord, we, we change until we fall before our face and confess our coldness or confess our, uh, the lightness that we've taken, Lord, the, the time that we live in. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord God, to be the kind of church for, that sounds out the faith. I pray that you do a work in us, I pray in Jesus' name.